0: And you are listening to Dream Infringement, and you gotta know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when not to change that dial and listen to our show that might be right now. I can't do calls to action, but I can advise that you might want to listen to our show. This is Jennifer hit Boss Woodside, Emily Aces High and Jokers Wild Castillo, and Bobby High Roller Castillo. Ah, the heady thrill of winning big or losing it all. Some people thrive on that. Some people are very good at it. Some people are the reason why we have so many Oregon-specific Gamblers Anonymous commercials. That Kenny Rogers song was actually really good advice all along. And our theme this week is about bets and bargains, wagers and deals. The strange, the large, the daring, the losing, the winning. And we'll start the show off with getting in the zone with the self-same Kenny Rogers with his song, The Gambler.
1: You got to know when. Count your money when you're sitting at the
0: table. This story comes from Bobby and our very special guest star in a reoccurring role as his son Weston. Here we go. I mean, that is his son. It, his role isn't, you know what I mean.
2: Hi, this is Bobby. I am currently sitting with my eight-year-old Weston, and we're going to talk about Dr. Seuss and bet.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um it's pretty it's pretty um strange when you think about it. Yeah, we're talking about Doctor Seuss and Bet.
2: Yeah, and so that bet is this. Are you familiar with the book Green Eggs and Ham?
3: Yes I am. And the food.
2: Okay, yeah, okay. Did you know that it started out as a fifty dollar bet?
3: What
2: <laughs> yeah. So Doctor Seuss's publisher bet him $50 that he couldn't write a children's book using 50 words.
3: I mean, I could write him um, a children's book using 50 words.
2: Okay, well, challenge accepted, I guess.
3: Okay, yeah, that's pretty impressive, though. <laughs>
2: yeah, and uh, you would you like to know what those words are? Um, yes. I can just rattle them off. Okay. Okay. A, M, and anywhere, R, B, boat, box, car, could, dark, do, eat, eggs, fox, goat, good, green, ham, here, house, I, if, in, let, like, may, me, mouse, not, on, or, rain, Sam, say, see, so, think, that, the, them, there, they, train, tree, try, will, with, wood, and, last but not least, you. Wow,
3: um, that's, um impressive
2: <laughs> well i didn't write it i just read it
3: i know i know you just read it but 50 words is like i mean imagine if you were supposed to write a poem in 10 words i mean i could probably do that but it would be really really boring he wrote a <laughs> pif. a he piff he wrote a piff um i mean he wrote a poem in under 50 words yeah that's impressive
2: yeah it, it, it really is and so what is a what does a bet mean to you weston
3: a contest like um imagine if my dad said eat 10 hoagies and i'll give you donald trump's allowance
2: <laughs> that's quite a scenario yes that is well uh we said we would talk about dr seuss and Bets, and we did mm, yeah we did and so now all that's left to do is for my lovely eight-year-old son to read green eggs and ham yes so without further ado Here is Weston reading Green Eggs and Ham by Dr. Seuss.
3: I am Sam. Sam I am. That's Sam I am. That's Sam I am. I do not like that Sam I am. Do you like green eggs and ham? I do not like them, Sam I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. Would you like them here or there? I would not like them here or there. I would not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam. I am. Would you like them in a house? Would you like them with a mouse? I do not like them in a house. I do not like them with a mouse. I do not like them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam. I am. Would you eat them in a box? Would you eat them with a fox? Not in a box, not with a fox, not in a house, not with a mouse. I would not eat them here or there. I would not eat them anywhere. I would not eat green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I am. Would you, could you, in a car? Eat them, eat them, here they are. I would not, could not, in a car. You may like them, you will see. You may like them in a tree. I would not, could not in a tree, not in a car. You let me be. I do not like them in a box. I do not like them with a fox. I do not like them in a house. I do not like them with a mouse. I do not like them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam. I am. A train, a train, a train, a train. Could you, would you, on a train? Not in a... not on a train, not in a tree, not in a car. Sam let me be. I, c- I would not... could not in a box, I would not, could not with a fox. I will not eat them with a mouse, I will not eat them in a house, I will not eat them here or there. I will not, will not eat them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them Sam I am. Say, in the dark, here in the dark, would you, could you, in the dark? I would not, could not in the dark. Would you, could you, in the rain? I would not, could not in the rain. Not in the dark, not on a train, not in the car, not in the tree. I do not like them, Sammy. you see. Not in the house, not in the box, not in the mouse. Not with a fox. I will not eat them here or there. I will not eat them anywhere. You do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam, I am. Could you, would you, with a goat? I would not, could not with a goat. Would you, could you, on a boat? I could not would not on a boat. I will not will not with a goat. I will not eat them in the rain. I will not eat them on a train, not in the dark, not in the tree, not in the car. you let me be?! I do not like them in a box. I do not like them with a fox. I will not eat them in a house. I do not like them with a mouse. I do not like them here or there. I do not like them anywhere. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam. I am. You do not like them, so you say. Try them, try them, and you may. Try them, and you may, I say. Sam, if you will let me be, I will try them, you will see. Say, I like green eggs and ham. I do, I do, I like them, Sam I am. I would eat them in a boat. I would eat them with a goat. And I will eat them in the rain, and in the dark, and on a train, and in a car, and in a tree. They are so good, so good, you see. And I will eat them in a box, and I will eat them with a fox, and I will eat them in a house, and I will eat them with a mouse. And I will eat them here and there. Say, I will eat them anywhere. I do so like green eggs and ham. Thank you, thank you, (laughs) Sam-I-Am.
2: Hi, it's Bobby again. I'm back. The reason for me coming back is so that I can introduce the song I chose, and that song is called Ham and Eggs by a tribe called Quest. I don't eat
3: no vitamins,
0: Awesome work, you two. I don't know if any of you all have read, perhaps, novels by Georgette Heyer, but they always feature a rake, a man of decadence and luxury and dissipation whose only joy in life comes from visiting gambling dens and making wagers with other Dissipated young men, this is a real life story of one such gentleman. Once upon a time, there were three brothers and one sister with the surname of Barry. One brother had the nickname Newgate, alias Augustus, as this was said to be the only prison he had been in. Henry, known as Cripplegate, due to his club foot and then Richard Barry, the 7th Earl of Barrymore, better known as Hellgate, as this was the gateway he was destined to enter, and Sister Caroline, known as Billingsgate, due to her use of foul language. Our story concerns the eldest son Richard, who was born in 1769. When Richard was four, the 6th Earl died. The Lady Amelia, was left with the four young children. The youngest, Augustus, was born only a few days before his father's death. She placed Richard under the care of the Reverend John Tickle, until he was old enough to go up to Eton. However, when Richard was eleven, Lady Barrymore, aged just thirty-one, died after a lingering illness. This left the four children orphans, and they were in part raised by their grandmother, Countess Harrington, who appeared to allow them free rein to do as they pleased. Richard grew up to be a prolific gambler, lover of horse racing and of boxing and of bare fist fighting, both watching and participating. He lived at a time when clubs were all the rage, and he was a member of most, and if they did not exist, he created them. He was also a daring prankster. One of his most favorite practical jokes would involve pretending to kidnap girls from the streets of London, and place coffins outside of their houses with a view to terrifying their servants. He had an immense passion for gambling, and would gamble on virtually anything. On one occasion he wagered that he could beat a local butcher, Mr. Bullock, in a race around Brighton. Richard left the gentleman to set the course, though to this reader it seemed rather ungentlemanly, as Richard was a sportsman, and the gentleman in question was somewhat rotund. He may not have had the brawn, but he definitely had the brains, and set the course to incorporate a very narrow lane that Richard was unaware of. Richard gave him a 35-yard start, and then he set off, assuming the race would be easy to win. However, when they reached the narrow lane, he could not pass Mr. Bullock, and so Richard lost the bet. He eloped in 1792, aged 22, on Gretna Green, where he married Charlotte Golding, the daughter of a London sedan chairman. In 1791, owing a great deal of money and in order to stave off his creditors, he decided to become a member of parliament for Hadesbury. He was a captain in the Royal Berkshire Militia and had been driving a gig which was taking French prisoners of war to Dover when his musket accidentally discharged, and he died just prior to his 24th birthday. Even after his death, there were rumors that he had been buried in secret to prevent his creditors from taking his corpse until his considerable debts had been paid. guess that's really something when after you die, you're afraid creditors will take your corpse hostage. I don't know who was gonna pay to get it back. I don't know if he had any rich relatives that would pay to get it back from the creditors we have another story of a, it sounds like, less dissipated, but also wagering young man, perhaps? The palatial mansion of Wentworth Woodhouse near Rotherham is set in a landscape ornamented with towers and temples, pyramids, and pavilions. One of the earliest is a slim, gothic sandstone pyramid that's about 45 feet high. Ledgers of the time simply say, from 1722 onward, they included the building of what was then simply known as Obelisk in Lee Wood, but was later nicknamed the Needle's Eye, as apparently the arch was thought to resemble the eye of a needle. Local legends tell that the building was erected so that the first marquess of Rockingham could prove his boast that he could drive a carriage through the eye of a needle. Another version is that guiding a horse and trap through the arch was a rite of passage for young apprentices in the stable yard hoping to win promotion. No one knows if there's any truth to any of the tales, but it's as good an explanation as any for a seemingly useless feature on the outskirts of the grounds. More Regency-era wagers? Sure thing. The Duke of Richmond, who paid off his gambling debts in 1719 by pledging his 18-year-old son and future duke to the 13-year-old daughter of the Earl of Cadogan, the two were promptly married, but the bride did not see her husband again until she was 16. I imagine she had some thoughts on this. Wouldn't it be weird? Like, you're hanging out with all your friends, and you're just already married, but not yet. But what happened to them, you may wonder. And I'd love to tell you. So after the marriage, the Earl of March, aged 18, embarked on his grand tour. On his return in 1722, he was reluctant to meet Sarah. He went to the theater and glimpsed a young woman and asked who she was. You must be a stranger in London not to know the toast of the town, the beautiful Lady March, was the reply. So I thought this only happened in romance books, but it happened in real life. He saw her and was like, Wow, who's that? And they're like, You're a wife. In 1723, he succeeded to his father's title, Duke of Richmond, and Sarah became the Duchess of Richmond. They had a well publicized, happy, and companionable marriage. Who would have seen that outcome? Also, she had twenty three pregnancies, from which twelve children were born, including the famous Lennox sisters. The Lennox sisters were four 18th century British aristocrats who all married prominent men and attracted varying degrees of admiration or notoriety. She gave birth to legends, it seems. And it says she passed away at the age of 45. She spent, like, her whole adult life pregnant, basically. Uh, But as, as it said it was a very companionable marriage onward to more tales from nobility one of the most prolific gamblers of the era was noted Wake statesman charles james fox the second son of lord holland Fox was the darling of his father, who found Charles infinitely engaging and clever and pretty, and from the time that his son was three years old, apparently preferred his company at meals to that of any one else. The stories of Charles' overindulgence by his doting father are legendary. It was said that Charles once expressed a great desire to break his father's watch, and was not restrained or punished when he duly smashed it on the floor. On another occasion, when Henry had promised his son that he could watch the demolition of a wall on his estate and found that it had already been destroyed, he ordered the workmen to rebuild the wall and demolish it again with Charles watching. Fox grew up to be a gambler, quite a gambler. Once claiming that winning was the greatest pleasure in the world and losing the second greatest between 1772 and 1774 his father shortly before dying had to pay off 120,000 pounds of his debt an equivalent to around 15 million in 2020 But despite his father paying off that debt, the indulged fox continued to win and lose huge fortunes in a single sitting. He once gambled from Tuesday night until Friday with no sleep, taking time off one evening to debate in the House of Commons. He played hazard from Tuesday evening until five Wednesday evening, covering £12,000 he had lost, but losing that and 11000 more before going to Parliament at eleven that night he went to white's and drank all night returning in the morning to almack's later to be known as brooks where he won six thousand pounds then rode to the races at newmarket where he lost ten thousand pounds in appearance he was dark corpulent and hairy to the extent that when he was born his father compared him to a monkey which is funny because he's also quoted as saying he was infinitely engaging and clever and pretty. He was a pretty monkey, I guess. His round face was dominated by his luxuriant eyebrows, with the result that he was known among fellow wigs as the eyebrow. Though he became increasingly disheveled and rotund in middle age, the young fox had been very fashionable. He had been the leader of the macaroni, set of extravagant young followers of continental fashions he liked riding horses and watching and playing cricket but his impulsive nature and considerable bulk led to his often being run out between the wickets i don't know what that means because of his charismatic personality he had many friends who were perpetually loaning him money or offering subscriptions or annuities toward his many debts Though he was possessed of a keen intelligence that would have allowed him to profit at games of skill, he avoided these in order to wager on games of pure chance, which he found more exciting." He's like the exact opposite of me. I would just find that so anxiety-inducing. Despite his many flaws, history records him as an amiable person. He ended up dying still in office at the age of 57. Autopsies at the time revealed a hardened liver, 35 gallstones, and around seven pints of fluid in his abdomen. I'm actually kind of surprised it wasn't worse. With that much lack of sleep and that much drinking, I'm surprised it wasn't worse. Some of the wagers at White's include items as diverse as betting on a change of weather, the birth of a child, the color of a coach horse, or an article in the newspaper. Until it was outlawed in 1774, gamesters even wagered on when people would die. I'm sure it was outlawed because maybe some people took it into their hands to strengthen their chances by assuring that the person being bet on died in such a time as would cause them the most profit. This song is called The Galway Races by the Dubliners. We're just a little past the halfway point. Our theme this evening is all about bargains, deals, wagers, and bets. And next up, a story from Emily. Hey
1: there, Emily here. And you know, I don't like to meddle in people's affairs. I don't typically give unwarranted advice. Um, But today is a little bit different. I feel very, very strongly about this bit of advice that I'm about to give you. And the advice I have is don't ever make a deal with the devil. That's right. You heard me. A deal with the devil. Don't make one. A deal with the devil is also called a Faustian bargain or a Mephisto. <laughs> oh boy, this is a big one. Mephistophelian bargain. It's a cultural motif in European folklore, best exemplified by the legend of Faust and the figure of Mephistopheles. If you are a well read person, or perhaps like me, you are just a millennial that grew up watching a lot of Wishbone and you remember the episode where Wishbone plays Faust, um, then you'll be familiar with with this tale of uh, making a deal or a bargain with the devil. The legend of Faust was actually based on a real-life person, Named Johann George Faust. He was born in 1480 and died in 1540. He was an alchemist and a practitioner of black magic. Um, there was a book that speculated on his infamous exploits, um, and it was circulating around the late 16th century, and this is what inspired Christopher Marlowe's play, um, The Tragical History. Of the life and death of Doctor Faustus, and that was first performed in London around 1592. And then, around the same time, there was the legend of Pan Twardows- Twardowski, a sorcerer who said his who sold his soul to the devil. Um, and that was a story that started to take root in Polish folklore. So, the most influential interpretation, probably, of the Faust legend was written by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Goethe? I don't know. I'm... that's a tough one for me. (laughs) I think it's Goethe, but anyway. Uh, The project dominated his intellectual life. The first part of um, this dramatic project poem faust appeared in 1808 and the second part was completed in 1831 so that's a long time to be writing this story and it is interesting that this story kind of took over his life in a way that you know a deal with the devil might take over your life so what's the deal with faust well poor dr faust he's been a scholar for decades But now he's an old man with nothing to show for it. He doesn't really know anything. He doesn't really feel anything. He doesn't know what the meaning of life is. And he's completely alone. He doesn't want to wait for death. So he attempts suicide, only to be distracted by a chorus singing God's praises outside his door. This causes him to become greatly annoyed. And Faust cries out that God can do nothing for him. Faust wants his youth back. He wants love and affection, and God simply cannot give him any of those things. So, Faust calls upon the devil. Immediately, the devil appears in the form of Mephistopheles. He's disguised as a wealthy gentleman, and Faust explains to him all the things he wants. He wants to be young again. You know... Maybe with the added bonus of a few girlfriends. And Mephistopheles proposes a deal. He can have all the youth and ladies he wants in exchange for his immortal soul. (sighs) Faust is hesitant. But when Mephistopheles tempts him with the vision of a breathtaking woman woman, (laughs) who lives close by, that's it. He's sold. The two sign a contract and Faust is transformed into a dashing young man ready to party hardy with the ladies. Now, Faust just cannot get this vision of this woman out of his head, and he urges Mephistopheles to introduce him to this fair young maiden. And Mephistopheles cautions that this particular lady might not be interested in Faust's advances, but Faust demands to see her, and Mephistopheles puts together a sort of meat cute and Faust really does his best to turn on the charm, but Marguerite, who is the lady in the vision, she's not really having it. Then Mephistopheles trying to hold up his end of the bargain, which is kind of surprising, but I guess, you know, he they both knew what they were getting into, and they both seem to be uh, really invested in this this deal, this bargain that they've made. So Mephistopheles is like, nope, I'm gonna make this happen. He leads Faust to Marguerite's house and leaves her a basket of jewels, hoping that they can win Marguerite's heart over and that maybe she will look more favorably upon Faust. And what do you know, it works. As Faust and Mephistopheles hide nearby, Marguerite, who has been daydreaming about her brief encounter with a handsome stranger who was Faust, uncovers the jewels and then treats herself to a makeover. While Marguerite is admiring herself in her new baubles, her neighbor Marta interrupts her And Marguerite is just a little bit embarrassed, but not nearly as embarrassed as she is when Faust arrives, complimenting her beauty and proclaiming his undying love. Mephistopheles, wingman that he is, distracts Marta, leaving Faust and Marguerite alone. Marguerite reveals that she is also smitten with Faust, and she is a little bit concerned that a whirlwind romance could bring her everlasting shame. Um, but she goes with it. Faust and Marguerite have an affair. After which, Faust abandons her. Fast forward to several months later, Marguerite is sitting, uh, nervously at her spinning wheel. She has not heard at all from Faust. And a young man from the village named Siebel arrives to keep her company, um, but it doesn't work. He does not comfort her because she is carrying Faust's child. That's right, an unwed lady with child. Faust liked it, but he did not put a ring on it. Then at this very inopportune moment, Marguerite's brother, Valentine and his army come marching home from war. they they emerged victorious they're ready to party then valentine is like whoa 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 my sister is looking a little pregnant and something has gone very wrong since i've been gone he is pretty ticked off and he goes off to confront his sister And Faust and Mephistopheles turn up at Marguerite's door, hoping to smooth things over. What a time. What a time to show up. Uh, And, be oh, because Faust was feeling bad. (laughs) He felt bad for her, apparently. And this was the time he chose to uh, come back. And this is the point in the story where everything goes from bad to horribly, horribly worse. Because... You know you don't you don't make a deal with the devil. It's never a good time. It always ends in tragedy. Well, a fight breaks out between Faust and Valentine, and Faust ends up stabbing Valentine. Then Faust and Mistopheles just disappear, um, and Marguerite rushes to her brother's side, but Valentine pushes her away, c- claiming that his impending death is all her fault and cursing her as he collapses on the ground. Poor Marguerite, her life is in complete shambles, she has nowhere to turn, she goes to the church to pray, and once she gets in there though, um, an unforgiving voice, which mysteriously sounds a lot like Mephistopheles, declares that her sins have damned her forever. A little bit later, Marguerite has landed herself in prison. Her brother's death and Faust's abandonment have just really wreaked havoc on this poor woman's um, mental health. And she ends up... Ugh, it's terrible, guys. This is a really rough part. She ends up murdering her newborn child. I'm sorry that that's what happens. Faust is like, I, I've loved, i loved, I've gone through all of this. I realize I've loved Marguerite all along. The trials and the tribulations of the past few months were all the devil's doing. Not me. Not me, Faust. And then Faust persuades Mephistopheles to help him break Marguerite free. Mephistopheles agrees. They show up at the prison. Uh, Marguerite seems to recognize Faust. She recalls the night when he first seduced her, and Faust is just overwhelmed with pity. Marguerite panics at the sight of the devil. That's a good reaction. <laughs> Panic, not like, hmm, let's make a deal. Um, she panics, and with a frantic appeal to heaven, she dies. Mephistopheles then condemns her, but angelic voices proclaim that she is saved. Now, There's a lot to unpack here, and I'm sure I could look up a lot of different things, you know, (laughs) that we could unpack. But I think the main point that I want everyone to take away from this, and the only point that time will allow, is do not make a deal under any circumstances, no matter how many years you've wasted being a scientist... No matter how old you are, do not make a deal with the devil. Here is a song loosely inspired by the story of Faust. This is Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen.
2: I see a little silhouette of a
0: man Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the pandango? Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening me Galileo, 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 Galileo I'm just a poor boy and nobody loves me Are you ready for some football? Do I have to be ready? Recently on entering my parents' house, the TV had been blaring hours and hours of football. So not my thing. But it is the thing for a lot of people. And they like to place bets, not just on the outcome of the game itself, but upon a lot of the events happening during the game, like the color of Gatorade over the winning coach during the post-game celebration. The coin toss. and Apparently people analyze this. In Super Bowl history, Tails has the advantage at 29 to 26, although it has come up heads in three of the past four Super Bowls. How long the national anthem performance will take? the past 16 Super Bowl anthems have averaged at two minutes. However, Mickey Guyton, who was the performer for this Super Bowl, had done it previously in a minute and 23 seconds. So which jersey number will have the first touchdown? How many players will have a passing attempt? In the halftime lineup performances featuring multiple people who will go first. How many times will the chains be used for a measurement? Odell Beckham receiving yards. Joe Burrow touchdowns. So, so yeah, I had no idea all those little things would be things that people would keep track of. Whoever chooses the the Gatorade flavor is changing lives. Who knew? Anyway, we're hitting the end of the show. Thank you so very much for listening. We'll be back again with another episode and another theme. Still to be determined, but we are talking about it. We're making plans. We're in cahoots, perhaps cahoots We're had. Uh, If you want to hear past episodes, you can find us on any podcast app, also iTunes and SoundCloud. And we are on social media. Just look us up under Dream Infringement on either Facebook or Instagram. Our closing song is a cover of Daft Punk's Get Lucky by harpist and singer Anna McLuckie.
3: She's up all night to the sun I'm up all night to get some She's up all night for good fun I'm up all night to get lucky I'm up all night to get lucky I'm up all night to get lucky I'm up all